Welcome to No Ad, No Problem, a podcast devoted to college tennis and growing the game. Select episodes will be featured on the Great Shot podcast feed, but make sure you also subscribe to No Ad, No Problem on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Twitter at JTweetsTennis and Instagram at No Ad, No Problem. I'm your host, John. Let's serve it up. Hey everyone, hope you're all recovered from kickoff weekend. We are fully in the swing of college tennis now with these weeks between kickoff weekend and indoors just absolutely jam-packed with tough non-conference matches as teams prepare to be at their absolute best for indoors. And so with that, it was really tough to choose which matches to cover this week. But I did my best to choose one men's match and one's women's match of the week. So we'll walk through those and I'll talk about why I picked the match, some lineup projections, and ultimately make some predictions. So let's start on the men's side. A lot of good matches on the men's side this week, including Tennessee versus TCU. That's a match that has quickly become one of the early season marquee matches to look out for. You also have the Texas men heading to Ohio State. Always tough to play indoors at Columbus. That is a match with a lot of indoor seating implications. So looking forward to seeing how that plays out. But ultimately, the match I chose this week is number five, Kentucky, heading to defending NCAA champion number one, Virginia. That match is Friday at 5 p.m. in Charlottesville. And look, whenever you have a rematch of the NCAA team final from the previous year, that has to be your match of the week. And so ultimately, that is why I decided to choose this match. You know, these teams did play twice last year. UVA went to Lexington. They played Kentucky. They beat Kentucky 4-2 indoors. They followed that up in the NCAA team final where they beat Kentucky 4-0, which really finished, you know, the Cavaliers' pretty dominant run to the NCAA team title from the quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. They only dropped one singles point in that final match against Kentucky. They won doubles, and then they won pretty quick three straight set matches with Inyaki Montez at number two over Gob Diallo, Johnny Ross at number five and Barbotzer at number six. So, you know, revenge should definitely be on the mind of these Kentucky Wildcats, but these two teams look very different than the teams that we saw in Champaign last May. You know, Virginia returns five of its top six from that match. That is why they come into this season as the preseason favorite, still ranked number one. Whereas you look at Kentucky, they only bring back three of those players from that match against Virginia in the final. They bring back Liam Draxel, they bring back J.J. Mercer, who played number six, Draxel was at one, and then they also bring back uh, Josh Lapidot, who was playing number five in that match. So a lot of new faces for Kentucky in grad transfers and freshmen that they need to work in, get some more match experience under the Kentucky system. We'll talk about those factors And it's been a little tough to understand how well Kentucky is playing to start the season. You know, they only have four indoor courts there in Lexington. So even though they, you know, make it through kickoff, they beat Notre Dame in the second round 4-1. 
the faces that we're trying to gauge the level of really at five and six, we don't get to see a lot in action because ultimately by the time they get on the court, the match is near close to completion. So a little tough to gauge the level of Kentucky, which is really another reason why I have this match as the match of the week. I think it'd be very curious to see where Kentucky's level is at against the number one ranked team in the country right now. On the flip side, for UVA, you know they look really strong to start the season. They got a 4-0 win over Baylor, which has aged well since Baylor knocked off you know a top 12 team in FSU at home during kickoff weekend. But they do look a little vulnerable, you know, at five, at number six. You know, they do are factoring in some new faces there at number six. So really good test for both of these teams to see where their level is at. Good test to prepare for indoors for the men, which is in two weeks. All right, so let's talk about lineups, and let's first talk about Virginia. So the lineup that we saw for Virginia at kickoff weekend, you had very similar to what you saw last year uh, in Champaign, and you have this trio of now juniors of Chris Rodesh and Yaki Montez and Jeffrey von der Schulenberg, who have been the face of this Virginia program as they ascend you know, to the top of men's tennis, and they are building a reputation and a brand at that program, a reputation for these players, and have really become a, a, a core trio that this Virginia team has relied on. You know, Chris Rodesh uh, played number one at, at the end of last season and split sets, you know, against a Liam Draxel, um, against every pl- every player in Champaign at the number one position. So you feel confident in his ability to hold down that number one position. Number two, Virginia has been playing in Yaki Montez. Montez with sort of the Herculean run uh, last year at NCAAs at that number two position. Kentucky fans will remember him well for knocking off Gob Diallo in that final two and two in a match that was definitely not Diallo's best tennis, but a win that has really aged well for Montez. And as Diallo has now officially turned pro, entered into the ATP top 200. You know, Inyaki was playing just incredible tennis there in Champaign. He'll look to continue that form, you know, into this season. And at number three, you have the last of this core trio who really deserve a better name. If anyone has a name for these three guys and kind of something that embodies what they've been able to do for this Virginia program, let me know. Trio is just not cutting it for me. So let me know. But the last here is Jeffrey von der Schulenberg. You know, he was uh, practically undefeated at number three last season at this same position in the argument for best number three in the country. You know, really should be getting looks at number one, number two position, given where his level is at. He's another player who beat Diallo in that indoors match uh, back in March last season when these two teams played. So his level has clearly continued from last season. At number four, you have fifth year Ryan Getz, a player who has been, you know, here for almost the entirety of Virginia's turnaround of a program. And, you know, he's been extremely solid at that number four position. Believe he only lost either two or three times last season. He's a really tough out at number four. Doesn't typically play his best tennis indoors. So some of his losses in the dual season last year came indoors. So um, it will be interesting to see how his level is indoors before they move outdoors in the spring season. 
And then number five, they have been playing Barbotzer. Barbotzer is another grad transfer who came in from Wake Forest two years ago. He, you know, won a NCAA team title at Wake Forest, has now won a team title with Virginia. And uh, he was ultimately playing number one at Wake Forest before he went on to transfer to Virginia. And just a ton of experience that he brings here at the number five position. You know, last season, it was slow and steady for Botzer to get back to the level of play that he was at, but by the end of May was playing quite well. He dismantled of J.J. Mercer one and one in that team final. So he'll probably hold down the number five position here. And then last at number six is sort of where Virginia is still figuring things out. The one player that they did lose is Johnny Ross, who was playing number five. So he was above Bar Botzer. And at number six, they have uh, Alex Kiefer, who is also in that junior class of Rodesh, Montez, and von der Schulenberg. Or they have freshman Mons Dahlberg. And it seems like Dahlberg has been playing above Kiefer in the matches that they have played. So it is likely that we see Dahlberg at number six. He was, you know, a former top junior in the world, has been. You know, coming back from injury, still finding his rhythm, finding his form. Um, and that's kind of one of the more vulnerable positions for Virginia right now. All right, moving on to Kentucky's lineup. So what we have seen from Kentucky based on kickoff weekend is they have been playing Liam Draxel at number one. Draxel has held down the number one position for most, if not all, of his Three previous years at Kentucky. He is a senior. Last season was not his best season at number one. He was 16 and seven last year. I mentioned in that team final, he had split sets with Rodesh before that match was ultimately called. But Draxel's the type of player who will, you know, absolutely go to battle with anyone, anywhere, anytime. So he's someone that you feel very confident in at number one. Kentucky's been playing Alafia Ayeni at number two. Ayeni is a grad transfer from Cornell, where he played the number one position there. And he's actually the highest ranked ATP player in college right now, with his ranking well inside the top 400. He played a lot of challenger events this past fall, all the way into January to help buoy that ranking for when he presumably turns pro after this season with Kentucky. Really fun game to watch. You know, serve, volley, uh, really tough to beat indoors. At number three, Kentucky's been playing Josh Lapidot. Uh, he is another returner on the Kentucky team from last season. He was playing five last year. He went 17 and three. They've moved him up to the number three position. And he's joined uh, in kind of the middle of the lineup here by Taha Body. Body is a player that all of the Virginia players will know quite well. He is a grad transfer from Wake Forest. So he brings in a wealth of experience from those uh, uh, Wake Forest teams. And then five and six, these are a lot of the new faces that we're hoping to see more of from Kentucky. At number five, we'll likely see Jaden Weeks, a freshman from Canada. Uh, He's only completed one match so far. He's a top-ranked junior in the world coming in as a spring admit here. So we really haven't seen much of weeks in the collegiate ranks or the collegiate level. So interested to see kind of where he plays and how he competes here this weekend in what would be his first uh, road match in the dual season. And in a very similar position is uh, Charlie Cosnett. 
from France. He's also a freshman, and uh, this would also be his first, you know, real road dual match for Kentucky. So big tests for the freshmen at the bottom of that lineup. If one of those freshmen do not play, we will likely see J.J. Mercer. J.J. Mercer held down that number six position for Kentucky last season and um, and certainly has the experience as a former transfer from Ohio State uh, if, if one of the freshmen are not yet ready to compete. All right, so looking at the lineups, just a few takeaways. The first is that there are a few potential repeat matches that we could see. So last season, uh, Draxel played both in Yaki Montez and Chris Rodesh. I've talked about that split set match with Chris Rodesh. Draxel did beat Inyaki Montez when they played uh, in the dual regular season in March. So we could see another matchup there. Barbotzer has played both Josh Lapidot and JJ Mercer. He won both of those matches. And then Ryan Getz uh, played Taha Badi last season when Virginia played Wake Forest when Badi was with uh, the Demon Deacons there and gets one in straight sets, 6-4, 6-3. So those are some potential repeats that we could see. I think the big question, if you're Kentucky, is what do you do with Draxel and Ayeni? Who do you play one? Who do you play two? Looking at matchup-wise, if you're Kentucky, you probably want Liam Draxel playing in Yaki Montez. Draxel has beaten Montez from a game-style perspective. You don't feel like Draxel will get frustrated. Playing in Yaki Montez can go all day with Inyaki Montez, where you might have some concerns about Montez's defense and um, change-ups and drop shots really throwing off Ayeni's rhythm. So you would probably prefer to have Ayeni play Chris Rodesh and Draxel play Inyaki Montez, but that would require them to flip Draxel and Ayeni so that Ayeni is at one, Draxel is at two, assuming Virginia plays uh, the same lineup that they played at kickoff weekend. So this is where sort of the the lineup questions, the lineup game of of chicken, if you will, come come into play. And then lastly, another question for Kentucky is, you know, do you potentially flip Taha Body and Jaden Weeks just to avoid the repeat of the Ryan Getz match that uh, Body lost last season? And with that, you also put more experience in that five position with Taha Body versus Barbotzer, body, you know, probably will not be intimidated by Barbotzer, although they know each other quite well as both former Wake Forest players. So some interesting questions for Kentucky to consider. The other thing to consider here is, look, we're coming off of kickoff weekend. We just started the season. You never know who might be injured, who might be needing to take a weekend off. We also have Davis Cup this weekend. Kentucky has a lot of ties to Canada, to France. You don't know uh, in these early rounds of Davis Cup if any of these collegiate players will be playing for their home country there. So uh, those are some of the lineup takeaways. With that, let's move into projections. I think off the bat, you know, you like Virginia in dubs. It's home crowd. Doubles has traditionally been a week point for Kentucky. They struggled to win any doubles points uh, in the NCAA team championship last season. So you like Virginia at doubles. I think in the top two with Ayeni, with Draxel, Rodesh, Montez, you probably split, right? You know, if Draxel beats Montez, maybe Rodesh beats Ayeni, vice versa. It's hard to see a situation where 
Kentucky comes away with two wins uh, at the top two positions against those two players. I do like Virginia at three and four. I think von der Schulenberg and Getz over Lapidot and Abadi. I think you favor them. And, you know, I think the experience at five and six for Virginia with a bar botzer and whether it's an Alex Kiefer, those are experienced players who have been around college tennis much more than Jaden Weeks and Cosne. So you start to favor Virginia at three, four significantly, and then I would say slightly at five and six. But, you know, ironically, uh, you know, Kentucky has a higher power six UTR. They're at an 81.1. Virginia is just behind at an 80.73. I will note, though, that that would change once Mons Dahlberg gets included in Virginia's power six UTR. He is not there today. So if anyone's listening, add him to the uh, to the UTR roster, please. So, you know, really close match. I think those top two will be very close. Uh, again, lean. Virginia three four and then I think best case uh, is a split at five and six if you are Kentucky. So ultimately, I go Virginia four two to solidify themselves as one of the top teams in the country. But I'm excited to see what Kentucky puts up. I'm excited to see how they fare in their first significant test since falling in the NCAA team final last season. Okay, moving on to the women's match. Now, there are so many women's matches this week to try and pick from. And one of the reasons why there's so many women's matches this week is because the women's indoors tournament starts next weekend. So talk about that week or weekend of prep before indoors. The men have two weeks to do it. The women just have one. And so I feel like all of the matches that we're going to see on the men's side over these next two weeks, they're essentially consolidated into one week, one weekend for these women. And that starts with, we've already seen number one, North Carolina, knock, knock off number five, Georgia, 5-2 at home. That happened Wednesday evening. And that really was just the the appetizer for these matches that we will see over these next few days. You know, you have an Oklahoma State team who's making their run through the Big Ten facing Ohio State, a rematch with Michigan from kickoff weekend. Oklahoma State lost that match. They'll certainly be looking to get revenge over the Wolverines there. You have NC State also back in action after suffering their surprise loss to Vanderbilt at home. They take on defending NCAA finalist Oklahoma on Saturday, followed by a very frisky Tennessee team on Sunday. Talked about Georgia falling to North Carolina. They will have an opportunity to, you know, right the ship a little bit. I did think they looked good in that North Carolina match. They face Ohio State on the road on Saturday. And then you have, you know, a whole host of, of West Coast matches. You have USC, who suffered a bad loss to Notre Dame at kickoff weekend, heading to Texas, defending, two-time defending national champions, you have UCLA and Cal, both who had disappointing kickoff weekends facing off. And then you have a San Diego team who's emerging as, you know, a top 16 team here in the country versus Arizona State. So a lot of really good women's matches uh, on this weekend. But the match I had to go with was number eight Pepperdine at number six Stanford happening Saturday, 12 p.m., 
Looking forward to this match. Pepperdine will also face Cal uh, the following day on Sunday. All right, so why did I choose this match? Few reasons. The first is that I will be in attendance for this match. And so what better way to preview a match of the week, recap a match of the week, if I'm going to be there in person. If you're also there at Stanford, say hello. Looking forward to chatting with people. That's number one. Number two is... The history of this rivalry is really interesting. So, you know, Stanford started, you know, they've been playing for decades. Stanford started this rivalry 14-0 in their first 14 matches. Stanford has now lost five of its last six matches to Pepperdine, including the last three. And that one win in that six-match streak was... At the NCAAs in Orlando in 2019, that was in the quarterfinals when Stanford ultimately went on to win the title. And this total reversal of the the rivalry is one, you know, a big testament to the rise of the Pepperdine program and their rise to national prominence with you know Luisa Stefani, recent mixed doubles champion at the Australian Open, Ashley Leahy, who was ranked number one in the country, right? Those years of 2015, 16, 17, this is when this Pepperdine program was really coming to to prominence, uh, culminating in that 2021 uh, NCAA finals run. And Stanford, it's been a little different, right? Stanford, you know, certainly eclipses in 2018 and 2019. They win uh, the you know, team title both those years. But we've talked about kind of the post-COVID, during-COVID era for Stanford has been tough. Uh, hasn't been as strong of teams these past few years. They've been restricted by COVID. And it's been a challenge. And certainly Pepperdine has been one of those teams that has been, uh, you know, preventing Stanford from having that sort of success. Pepperdine knocked off Stanford in the 2021 NCAA round of 32. So, these teams are really familiar with each other. You know, they have go way back. And, and even just these teams that will be facing this weekend, these same cores really know each other quite well. So this Stanford core, you know, they're returning five of their starting six from last season. The only player that uh, won't be playing this weekend, but is even still on the roster, is India Houghton. She played number four singles. So this is the same Stanford team from last season that Pepperdine knocked off in the dual regular season. And while Pepperdine has a little bit more fluidity in their roster, you know, again, they return a core of Janice Chen, Savannah Brodus, Lisa Zar, all of those players played in that Stanford match. So, you know, these players are all very familiar with each other. There won't be any surprises. So really that history here in the rivalry is the other reason that I chose to feature this match. And the last reason is that, you know, you look at the North Carolina-Georgia match that happened on Wednesday, consequences of losing that match really aren't that high, right? Both of these teams are in, you know, two of the best women's tennis conferences in the country the two best, I would say, in the ACC and the SEC. They're going to get plenty of opportunity to get ranked wins during that conference play. They're both going to indoors. They also have tough non-conference schedule. I mentioned Georgia heading to Ohio State. If anything, you know, that match was a good measuring stick of where you are right now in the season, but won't really have consequences when it comes to things like NCAA seeding or hosting. 
This Pepperdine-Stanford match, on the other hand, not the case. And the reason for that is that this past kickoff weekend was pretty horrible for the Pac-12. You have Cal losing at home in the second round to San Diego, not qualifying for indoors. You have UCLA going on the road, going 0-2 in the Miami region. You have USC losing first round to Notre Dame. None of those Pac-12 teams are going to be at indoors. Stanford is the only team uh, from the Pac-12 that emerged from the kickoff weekend. Now, granted, Washington is the host, so you will have a Washington team there in indoors, but they will be the lowest ranked team there in indoors. I'm not sure they'll be able to get any ranked wins there. And you just look at last season. Stanford didn't qualify for indoors. They lost to Virginia in the second round. And they really struggled to even secure a top 16 seed because teams like USC, UCLA weren't in the top 10. They weren't able to get those ranked wins. And so even though Stanford wins the Pac-12 tournament, you know, they just barely got a top 16 seed. They had to go on the road in the round of 16 to number two, Oklahoma, where they ultimately lost. And so you're no longer playing for a top 16 seed. You know, you're playing for a top eight seed, right? So you can host both the regional and the super regional and provide you your best shot at making the quarterfinals at the final site. So this match has extremely high stakes for Stanford team, a Stanford team that certainly looks to be on the rise. So Stanford Cardinal absolutely needs this match, probably a little less so for Pepperdine. Pepperdine has scheduled a much tougher schedule than Stanford. Stanford, who typically doesn't play the the hardest schedule, certainly not looking to go on the road too often against non-conference opponents. And with that, uh, I think this match in particular has a lot of late in the season consequences. All right, so let's tackle the lineups for both of these teams, and let's start with number eight, Pepperdine. All right, the strength of this Pepperdine team is absolutely their top three. You heard Alex Gruskin rave about that top three. He covered them on the kickoff weekend on the Cracked Rackets YouTube stream. It starts with number 12 in the country, Janice Chen. Janice Chen made the NCAA semifinals her freshman year while she was a freshman at Oregon. She then transfers to Pepperdine, where it was a fairly volatile season. She starts the year at number four, number five, works her way all the way up to number one, where she was playing incredible tennis. She's continued that form into the fall and into the spring. At number two, you have Lisa Czar. Lisa Czar, uh, one of the players on this team who competed in that NCAA team final In 2021, she is an absolute rock Uh, at any position in the lineup. She's incredibly tough to beat, incredibly solid from the baseline. And, um, you know, she was at number two for kickoff weekend. And then you have number 21 in the country, Savannah Brodus. Savannah Brodus coming off of a very impressive freshman debut for the Waves last season. She has certainly made that sophomore surge. Her weapons, her serve, her ground strokes, the power that she has, it's undeniable. You know, her at the number three position is in the running for best number three in the country. So those three really, Pepperdine will be relying on those three for much of their success throughout the season. 
Then at four, it gets a little interesting. And the reason why it's interesting is that Pepperdine brings in three grad transfers this year. They bring in uh, Banyawi Tomchaiwat, who's a former All-American at Oklahoma State. She then transferred to San Diego State, where she was undefeated at the number one position. And now she is playing her final year of eligibility here in Malibu. And she's likely their number four player here. She did not play at kickoff weekend. It seemed like she was injured. That's probably the biggest question mark for Pepperdine heading into this match is, is Tum Chai Wat healthy? Does she play? Does she play both doubles and singles? If we do see her, we will likely see her at number four. Uh, but the person we did see at four because Tum Chai Wat was not playing was Nikki Redlick. Redlick is uh, the other player on this roster who competed in that 2021 team final. She was there at number six uh, against Texas in that final. And she's looked really solid. You know, she's moving up from playing, you know, number six, number five at times, had to move up to number four this weekend, um, you know, looked impressive in good form. You know, she looks to be playing extremely well. And then the last two players on this Pepperdine roster are sisters, both grad transfers in Carolyn Campagna and Anna Campagna, both transferring in from Wake Forest. They both played top three in that lineup. Carolyn last year held down the number one position. So again, you feel really good about that sort of experience uh, coming over from the ACC, a brutally tough conference and holding down that bottom of the roster. But we'll see. You know, we saw a similar, you know, analog in Vicky Flores from Georgia Tech last season at the number two position, comes over, transfers to Pepperdine for her fifth year and really struggled to get wins, uh, even at you know the number five or number six position for Pepperdine. Carolyn Campagna, notably, didn't have the best kickoff weekend of the Pepperdine players, um, you know, was kind of in battles, if you will. Uh, while her other teammates were uh, were cruising against some of the competition at kickoff weekend. So that is the Pepperdine singles lineup. It's worth noting that Savannah Brodus, Janice Chen make up one of, if not the best doubles team in the country right now. They are former NCAA semifinalists. They won the fall national championships in San Diego. The energy that they bring, the power that they bring, you know, it, just an incredibly tough doubles pair. So it's another notable. Uh. So for Stanford, I mentioned, you know, these are all players that we have seen in action for Stanford with the exception of one, but we've gotten some different looks of this Stanford lineup. So most recently when they played their second round against Florida State at kickoff weekend, they played uh, Alexandra Yepifanova at number one, Yepifanova, a sophomore who had played number two for the Cardinal last season. She got a win uh, at against Florida State at that number one position. I thought she looked really strong, really solid there at number one. Some of the best tennis I've seen her play in her collegiate career. And at number two, kind of the surprise here was NCAA finalists, ranked number 11 in the country right now, Connie Ma. Connie Ma made the NCAA singles finals last year, losing to Peyton Stearns in Champaign. You know, one of the best players in the country, certainly um, the athleticism, the hands, the touch, the feel, you know, Connie Ma is a tough out for anyone can adapt to, you know, pretty much any game style. 
So that's something to watch out for. You know, what do they play at one? What do they play at two? At number three, we will probably see Angelica Blake. Uh, Blake is a senior. Uh, she played number three this past weekend against Florida State uh, and, you know, was struggling against Florida State. She was probably going to lose that match, but she played number three last season. She only lost two matches on the year. You know, definitely feel good if you're a Stanford fan with Blake at number three. The one new face that enters into this roster is freshman. One of the top 10 newcomers of the year this year is Alexis Blockina, the freshman from Florida. She will likely play four where she was playing against Florida State. And then rounding out this team is uh, the players we saw at five and six last season. So Valencia Shu, another sophomore here for Stanford, joining Yepa Finova and Connie Ma as sort of their own sophomore trio. Uh, she was really tough out at number five, only lost, you know, two or three matches here. I thought she has looked excellent uh, so far in the spring season, particularly in January. Uh, they played a invitational in Las Vegas. She got a really good win over Tom Chaiwat from Pepperdine. So you feel good about Valencia Shu at number five. And then lastly, the grad uh, student for Stanford, Sarah Choi. Sarah Choi, the one connective tissue for this Stanford team from the last time the Cardinal won the NCAAs, which was in 2019. Uh, Sarah Choi, a, a member and a contributor to that team. So in terms of lineup takeaways, I mentioned that Stanford has, you know, played around. There's been some serious, you know, machinations with the lineup. And, uh, you know, if nothing else, it makes it that much harder for Pepperdine to game out. You know, for all the questions on why is Connie Ma playing number three against UC Davis and now she's at number two. I think one of the reasons for that is Stanford wants to avoid a Lisa Czar versus Yepafanova matchup. Now, these two players have played three times in college. Yepafanova did win in the fall of 2021, her freshman debut. But Lisa Czar has gotten the better of Yepafanova in their last two matches, winning both of those in straight sets. One coming very recently in that Las Vegas tournament I was talking about, Lisa Czar beat Yepafanova 6-1, 6-4. So you might be thinking it could be wise Connie Mott too. It could be to try and avoid this matchup with Yepafanova and Lisa Czar. If you're Stanford, you would prefer Connie Ma to play Lisa Czar. You feel much better about that lineup. And hey, take your shot with Yepafanova versus Janice Chen. So that will be curious to see. I think that you know, if you're Pepperdine, figuring out who you put at one, who you put at two makes it that much tougher now that Stanford most recently did, in fact, play Yepafanova at number one. And the other thing is, I just think it'll be harder for Pepperdine to put Lisa Czar at number one. Janice Chen played a complete fall. She's ranked 12. Lisa Czar didn't play in the fall. Janice Chen has been winning at one. It's not impossible, right? Lisa Zar is well-deserving of the number one position. She has the accolades to back up a potential lineup protest, but a little harder to do. And Stanford has now worked in that Yepafanova at one possibility. So it gives them options. Moving beyond the top two for Stanford, you know, Stanford seems to want to play Angelica Blake at three and Alexis Blockina at four. 
It's what they originally submitted for ITA kickoff weekend. It got protested, and then they flipped it, and then they flipped it again. You know, Blake played three, Blockina played four versus Florida State. So seems to be the lineup they want. So I expect we will see the senior at three and the freshman at four there. And then I don't think there's any questions here about um, five and six for Stanford. But again, I mentioned the big question for Pepperdine is does Tom Chaiwat play, right? If she plays, she's at four. You probably have Redlick at five, Carolyn Campagna at six. That's a very different calculus than if you have Nikki Redlick at four, Carolyn Campagna at five, Anna Campagna at six. So some big lineup questions here that we will find out about in the next few days. Let's move to projections. Look, this is a tough match to call. If nothing else for, I'm not sure if Tom Chaiwad is going to play. I'm not sure what the Stanford lineup is going to be, but I know a few things. And the first thing is that the era of Stanford not losing at the Toby Tennis Center at Stanford That era is kind of over. Stanford has not been as dominant at home as they had been in the 90s, in the early 2000s. And, you know, Pepperdine has now beaten Stanford at home twice. You know, they've done it twice in those uh, past six matches I mentioned. So I don't think the intimidation factor will be there for Pepperdine. I think that that has sort of waned for these waves who have gotten the better of Stanford five the last six times they've played. So I don't think there's going to be much of a home crowd, home court advantage. For doubles, I do think you have to lean Pepperdine, Janice Chen, Savannah Brodus. Talked about their accolades. I think if you have Lisa Czar, you know, Nikki Redlick, and if you do have Tum Chaiwat, I think they're going to have pieces to find another win at either two or three. It's funny, neither of these teams historically have really excelled in doubles, Pepperdine certainly did not excel in doubles in the 2021 season until that NCAA championship run. So sort of a toss up on doubles, but just because of the strength of Brodus and Chen at number one, I have to lean Pepperdine there. From a UTR perspective on the single side, uh, Pepperdine is a slight favorite at 64.73 over Stanford at 64.52. But again, a 0.2 Power six difference spread across six lines, really not much difference. Uh, UTR does like Lisa Czar over Yepa Finova, Brodus over Blake at three, and uh, Nikki Redlick over Valencia Shu at five, assuming Tum Chaiwat plays. So I do think that they'll split the top two. I don't know who we'll see from Stanford. If we'll see Connie Ma back at one or Yepa Finova at two, but I just think regardless, both of these teams have incredibly tough ones and twos. I think it probably makes sense that we'll split. I'll, regardless of who they play, I'll say Connie wins at one, Yepa Finova loses at two, and even if it's reversed, we'll go with that. So a split there at one and two. I do like Savannah Brodus over Angelica Blake at number three, although on the UTR side, super close, not much margins between those two. I like Alexis Blockina, the freshman at number four, regardless of who she plays. If she plays Tom Chaiwad at four, Redlick at four, Campania at four, doesn't matter. I think the weapons for the lefty freshman will be enough to get her through 
Um, so I like Stanford at number four. I think if Tom Chaiwat plays, I think we'll see Redlick at five. I think that's a much better matchup for them against Valencia Shu. I think Redlick can, you know, if she's hitting her spots, we'll be able to take the racket out of Valencia Shu's hand. So that's a better matchup for Pepperdine than Carolyn Campagna versus Valencia Shu, which is guaranteed to be the last match on. Uh, so you can book that one. So I think Pepperdine avoids that. I think they play Carolyn Campagna at number six against the grad student of Sarah Choi. So I like Blockina at four. I think at five and six, Eileen Stanford. I feel better about Choi over Campania than I would about Shu over Redlick. I mean, these teams are just super evenly matched. I think if Pepperdine splits the top two, that's one. I think they definitely get Savannah Brodus at number three. They'll have doubles in the bag. Ultimately, they'll just need one of four through six. I think the Waves find a way to get it, and they ultimately leave Palo Alto with a 4-3 win. Not much separating between these two teams. I'm really looking forward to this match. This is going to be some of the highest quality tennis you know, that we will see across the weekend. So those are your matches of the week. You have number five, Kentucky, heading to number one, Virginia, in Charlottesville. You have number eight, Pepperdine, heading to number six, Stanford, in Palo Alto. As always, share your thoughts on Twitter at JTweetsTennis on Instagram at noadnoproblem, and I will talk to you all next week. Thanks, everyone.